Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. Thank you for joining us for worship this Sunday morning. It's great to be with you. I hope that wherever you are at, the peace of Jesus Christ is present to you. Last week, I want you to know that I joined other faith and public leaders in Roswell for the Rally for Racial Solidarity. If you'd like to view uh, my comments or the whole service, um, you can go to the Roswell City Hall Facebook page and watch it. You can also go to my personal Facebook page and there's a link there to it. Also, we're sending out emails about the congregational survey. If you haven't filled that out, would you please do that? We'd love to take the temperature and see how people are doing and as we look to reopen what people are comfortable with and how we can serve each other as we move into the future. Last Sunday, Carrie Weatherford gave a brilliant sermon on uh, the story of Jonah. So if you missed that, make sure to go to the website, watch that. But today, we're going to look at a fascinating uh, story from the book of Numbers. It obviously doesn't get read very often, but what we see there is the second generation of Israelites that are wandering through the wilderness, and they have become quite a multitude. In fact, there's so many numbered, there's so many people in their population that Balak, the king of Moab, is frightened that the Israelites will overwhelm them. And so King Balak sends his people to hire a seer named Balaam. He wants Balaam to cast a curse on the Israelites. This was a common practice in the ancient Near East that kings would hire seers and prophets to cast curse on them. One of the problems, though, is that once you found yourself on the payroll of the king, you had to tell the king whatever he wanted to hear. They didn't want to have any disagreeable folks on the payroll. And so their livelihood depended on the king. Initially, Balaam refuses to go to Balak because God tells him not to go. But then King Balak increases the price and God relents and lets him go. As he does, we're going to pick up in this passage in Numbers 22, verses 21 through 38. And we're going to see a wild story of Balaam and his donkey. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. So Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the officials of Moab. God's anger was kindled because he was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the road as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were there with him. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. So the donkey turned off the road and went into the field, and Balaam struck the donkey to turn it back and onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it scraped against the wall and scraped Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck it again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam and Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you, that you have struck me these three times? Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand. I would kill you right now. But the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I been in the habit of treating you this way? And he said, No. 
Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down, falling on his face. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? I've come out as an adversary because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let it live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, therefore, if it is displeasing to you, I will return home. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you to speak. So Balaam went on with the officials of Balak. When Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him in Ir Moab, on the boundary formed by the Arnon, at the farthest point of the boundary. Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send to summon you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? Balaam said to Balak, I have come to you now, but do I have power to say just anything? The word God puts in my mouth, this is what I must say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this strange but wonderful story from the book of Numbers. We ask that you might be our teacher that it might spring to life by your spirit, might speak to our hearts wherever we are at. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The great writer Upton Sinclair said, It is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon his not understanding it. It is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon his not understanding it. Balaam doesn't want to see what's standing right in front of him because his salary depends on it. Royal seers like Balaam were often on the payroll of kings in the ancient Near East. They were called upon to come and speak to their bosses and do their bosses' bidding. If these seers wanted to keep their job, they saw what their bosses wanted them to see. They have to see what the king wants them to see. Balaam is being summoned to the Moabite king Balak to put a curse on the Israelites. What's the problem with this? The Israelites are God's people, and they are not a cursed people. They are a blessed people. See, initially, God prevents Balaam from going to Balak, but then God relents and lets him go. As he sets off, we read, So Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the officials of Moab. God's anger was kindled because he was going. Interpreters have been confounded by why God was angry with Balaam. You said he couldn't go, then you said he could go, and then when he goes, you get angry at him. What's up with that, God? Well, I think it might be because God realizes that Balaam isn't quite yet convinced to do what God wants him to do. See, rather, Balaam would actually like to earn his paycheck. He wants to get on the roll of Balak. After all, King Balak wants to put him on the payroll, wants to sign his check. Do you ever identify with Balaam? Do you ever only see the things that you want to see? See the things that help your self-interest? Are there things that you're refusing to understand because it might get in the way of receiving your paycheck? Are there things that God is asking you to do that you maybe don't want to do? At times like this, often God will send a spokesman to us to speak a tough truth to us, to point us in the right direction, to wake us up. These spokespeople want to tell us a truth, 
to wake us up to the life we're living, the question is, will we listen to them? These spokespeople can surprise us. It could be a spouse, could be a, a parent or a child, could be a coworker or a supervisor, could be a stranger on the sidewalk, an author in a book, or it could be your donkey. In this story, God chooses to use Balaam's donkey to speak to him, to wake him up, to see what's right in front of him. While in writings outside of the Bible, we see animals speak to people all over the place, in the Bible there are only two stories. There's the story of the serpent speaking to Eve, which we preached on a couple weeks ago, and then this story, Balaam's donkey speaking to him. And how does God use this donkey to wake Balaam up to see what's right in front of him? Look at it in verse 23. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. So the donkey turned off the road and went into the field, and Balaam struck the donkey to turn it back onto the road. I think we see here what we all have. We all have a natural resistance to revision. I've heard it said that only a baby likes change. <laughs> Let's be honest, most of us hate change. I imagine some of you are sitting in front of your television, some of you are sitting in front of your screens, and you are hating the fact that you have to watch this service from your home. You didn't and don't want to change. Trust me, I feel you. However, we'll all find out at some point in our lives that change is a part of life. The question is, are we going to be open to that change? How are we going to approach that change? How are we going to change? There's leadership scholars and experts and change theorists who make a distinction between two types of change. See, on one hand, we have technical problems, and then on the other hand, we have adaptive challenges. A technical problem has a solution. A technical problem can be solved. You figure it out and then you move on. Since we're talking about donkeys, I couldn't help but think about the movie Shrek. When the donkey, voiced brilliantly by Eddie Murphy, meets Shrek for the first time, Shrek is trying to scare the donkey off and he raises his hands and goes, ah, at the donkey. The donkey zeroes in on a technical problem and says this, wow, that was really scary. And if you don't mind me saying, if that don't work, your breath will certainly get the job done because you definitely need some Tic Tacs or something because your breath stinks. <laughs> the technical problem for Shrek is stinky breath. And the donkey says, all he needs to do is solve that and he'll be fixed, problem solved. As an aside, it's one of my dearly held personal principles that you should never turn down a breath mint or a breath enhancer. It will solve a technical problem that you might not know about. But what Balaam is dealing with here is not a technical problem. He's got to change his entire way of being. He has to adapt to a new way of life. He can't see things the way the king wants him to see them. He needs to see them the way God wants him to. And this is an adaptive challenge. Ronald Heifetz, who is a professor at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, defines adaptive challenges in this way. He says, adaptive challenges happen when we ask people to adopt new beliefs, when we hope people will pursue better values, or when we help people see that the ways that they have been doing things in the past will not work for them. If you want to get from here to where you're going, sometimes you're gonna to have to take a detour. Sometimes you're gonna to have to change your route. 
In our story, only the donkey sees that things have to change. He's the only one that's willing to take a detour. Balaam can't see correctly. All of us will confront adaptive challenges. For instance, I've known people that were stuck in bad marriages, and the only way that they could help their, make their marriage better was to go to counseling and therapy. They had to figure out ways to adapt to marriage to make it more healthy. Doing ministry in this pandemic, there was no technical solution for us to solve our problem. We had to step into a, a whole new reality. We had to adapt. It's an adaptive challenge. Heifus also makes this point. He says, you cannot use technical means to reach adaptive ends. You cannot use technical means to reach adaptive ends. To move forward, to grow, we really need to change our whole worldview. When I was researching this, I came across this great article titled, You Can't Quit Smoking for Someone Else. <laughs> the author makes the point that you can try to make um, arguments to get somebody to quit smoking through technical solutions. You can tell them that smoking is bad for their health. You can show them the warning label on the package. You can try to change their habits through technical answers, but usually it won't work. They have to adapt to a whole new way of life. They have to decide for themselves that they want their life to change because quitting smoking will change your whole life. You'll have to get over the chemical addictions. You might have to find other people to hang out with on your smoke breaks. You'll have to find other ways to deal with stress. Adaptive change is hard. Balaam is going to need some divine encouragement to adapt to change. He needs to see things clearly. Let's continue. Verse 25, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it scrapped against the wall and scraped Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck it again. Notice, when forced to change again, Balaam resorts to violence. Balaam can't see the angel in the middle of the road. And when his donkey scrapes his foot against the wall, he hits his donkey. Not cool, Balaam. Not cool. Shouldn't hit your pets. For instance, Gandhi once said, an eye for an eye and the whole world goes blind. Balaam strikes his donkey, but it's not going to make a lick of difference. It's just going to make things worse. Balaam's response might be what we call a response of transference. This occurs when you encounter a problem, and rather than deal with the problem, you lash out at something else. You take it out on someone else. For instance, probably everyone has had the experience of you've had a rough day at work, and you, you come home, and you yell at your wife. You yell at your child. So you're transferring the problem that you had at work into your family life. And everybody's like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. One of the most Famous recent examples of transference happened on the reality show called Vanderpump Rules. This incident is called, is known as the pasta incident. There are three key players, James, his girlfriend Raquel, and their friend who might better be termed a frenemy, Lala. Lala jokingly makes an offhand comment when Raquel goes to the restroom about her plate of pasta. She says it to um, Raquel's boyfriend, James, she says, I could just eat her pasta. And James just loses it with her, starts yelling at her. Says he can't believe she would say something like that. And Lala can't understand why James is so angry. And so the argument spills out onto the, the street. And finally, James is yelling at her. It's not about the pasta. It's not about the pasta. It's not about the pasta. And he keeps yelling it. 
And people are just like, this man is insane. And then it transfers over to an interview segment where James says, it's not about the pasta. It's about showing respect for my girlfriend. That, my friends, is transference. This is a classic example. It's not about the pasta. It's about respect. And for Balaam, he kicks his donkey when it scratches his foot against the wall, when he should be worried about the angel who's standing right in front of him, who he refuses to see. We shouldn't transfer our feelings for one person or an event onto another. That will just harm the relationships we truly care about. So Balaam and his donkey continue on. Verse 27, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Again, we see Balaam using uh, violence against his donkey rather than seeing what is right before him. Here is the part I love. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and it said to Balaam, and I just, I just wonder the accent the donkey used, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. Again, Balaam thinks his donkey is making a fool of him, and he, he lashes out in violence. But the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey, which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I been in the habit of treating you this way? And he said, Balaam said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down, falling on his face. Finally, Balaam, the seer, sees what's right in front of him. Most of us, if we're honest, are like Balaam. The problem is it's really hard to see what we can't see, especially if it challenges what we believe or how we live. We don't want our assumptions, we don't want our beliefs challenged. Balaam doesn't want to see the angel of the Lord because that will get in the way of him receiving his paycheck from the king. Oftentimes, let's be honest, doing the king's bidding pays a lot better than doing the Lord's will. But in the end, the pursuit of what leaves us blind and what is right in front of us will cost us in the end. This past week, a friend of mine on Facebook posted this comment. It is okay to have a thought or believe something for a long time or even your whole life, then get, it, get new information and experiences and then change your mind. It's okay to see something you've never noticed before. It's okay. Maybe the best example of this came in Tara Westover's book from 2018, Educated. In it, she tells the story of growing up in Idaho, not far from where I actually grew up. And she was, uh, lived in a Mormon survivalist family. She was one of the youngest of six children. And to get an idea of her upbringing, listen to this. She never attends formal school. She doesn't have a birth certificate. She never goes to a doctor. Her family lives completely off the land. And her memoir is fascinating, how she goes from Bucks Peak, Idaho, and eventually gets a PhD at Cambridge. Her story is full of events and stories of having to learn th to see things that she was not initially prepared to see. In her first year at BYU, uh, Brigham Young University, she is forced to see all of these things that she hadn't uh, seen before. She had never heard of the Civil Rights Movement or Martin Luther King Jr. In her first exam, she didn't know you were supposed to bring a blue book, so she has to borrow one from a friend. She had never read a textbook before, so all she did was look at the pictures and then one of her fellow students says, no, you actually have to read the words that are on the page. 
She didn't know that Europe wasn't a country, that it was a continent, that you had to wash your hands every time you went to the bathroom, that you needed to shower more than once a week. One of the great themes of this book is called, we might call certainty or education. That's why she titles it Educated. To become educated, you have to admit that you don't know everything. What we see in the book is that her parents fail to admit that they don't know everything. They think they know everything that is to do with the world in their small circumscribed town in Idaho. But in order to see rightly, you have to understand and admit that you don't see and understand everything. In one striking passage, Tara writes about a letter she receives from her mother where her mother's trying to reconcile with her. Let me read it to you. There was a pause, then more words appeared, words I hadn't known I needed to hear. But once I saw them, I realized I'd been searching my whole life for them. And these are her mom's words. You were my child. I should have protected you. Tara goes on. I lived a lifetime in the moment I read those lines, a life that was not the one I actually had lived. I became a different person who remembered a different childhood. I didn't understand the magic of those words then, and I don't understand it now. I know only this, that when my mother told me she had not been the mother to me that she'd wished she'd been, she became that mother for the first time. Her mother becomes a mother when she admits that she wasn't the mother she wished she had been. She admits she didn't do everything right. See, when you realize and recognize that you don't see everything, your eyes are open to what God wants you to see. So friends, what does God want to you to see that's right in front of you? Who is there to help you see it? Who do you trust to wake you up? Don't be like Balaam, who, who remains blind, who refuses to see what God has put right in front of him, who lashes out in violence, who uses transference to blame others, to use violence against his pets. I pray that Roswell Presbyterian Church can be a safe place for you so that you see the things standing right in front of you, that you see things that you've never seen before. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you for the things that you set before us. Give us the eyes to see what you want us to see, Lord, that we might um, wake up to our lives in your presence in it. We thank you for the family of faith of Roswell Presbyterian Church that can provide a place and a context for us to see the things that we've never seen before. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.